share some things with you. I have believed that I've received some downloads from the Lord while I've been here in Moravian Falls, and I've actually had a couple dreams that, in fact, Rick is sharing it this morning at Morningstar that I sent to him yesterday or yesterday evening, a couple of them, but the first one I had was the um, first night that I was here. And I'm just going to read it to you, and I want you to pray into it, all right? I believe this is a now dream. I think it's important for us to take this to heart, take this serious. Here's the dream. Early on March 25th, 2022, I saw an unknown man in this dream dressed in a black suit. And he was holding a $50, U.S. $50 bill in his hand. And in the dream, he tears the $50 bill in three stages. He stayed in front of me during the dream, and he took the $50 bill, which I believe represented the 50 United States. And he tore the bill, and he tore one-third of the $50 bill. And when he did... Random people just started walking up to me, handing me newspapers with headlines on the front. They were national newspapers brought to me one right after the other, with the headlines being all that I could read on the newspapers. And I remember exactly what they said. The first one said, after he tore the $50 bill and tore one-third of it, the first newspaper headline said, the U.S. dollar drops 30% in value. And in a subtitle below it, it said, Middle Eastern oil strikes deal with China instead of the U.S. And then I saw another headline given to me. Another person gave me a headline which said, The Perfect Storm, subtitled, Inflation Reaches a New High. And I was handed another headline which said, Food Shortage Crisis as Wheat and Bread imparts, Imports are at a stalemate. Another headline was handed to me which said something like this, and this is the only one that I didn't have the exact wording of, but I remembered what I, I could. It said, Riots and civil unrest as citizens demand entitlement checks. And this was the only headline, as I said, I could remember. I then, in the dream, got the, uh, noticing the man dressed in black again with the $50 bill. And this time, he took the $50 bill and he tore it right in half. And when he did, an earthquake in the dream happened under my feet. Another person walked up to me and handed me a newspaper with the headlines which read, quote, Israeli and Palestinian two-state solution reached, unquote. Another headline was handed to me by another person which read, quote, major earthquake hits the middle of the U.S., unquote. Then the man in black took the rest of the $50 bill and started tearing it into smaller pieces, one by one. And then another person walks up and hands me another headline which said, quote, America in pieces, unquote. Subtitled, more states secede from the nation in rebellion to the federal government, unquote. I was handed another headline which said, quote, U.S. military takes charge as uncertainty looms over the federal government." Unquote. The man in black then took out a new dollar bill. So the first time he tore the $50 bill, one-third of the bill off, then half, and then into smaller pieces. So he takes out the last thing he does, he takes out this new dollar bill, but what was interesting about it is the dollar bill was like a cell phone. Somehow 
it was like a cell phone and a one dollar bill at the same time. It looked like a one dollar bill, but it was like a cell phone. I did see uh, George Washington's face on it, which of course is on our bill, but it looked very different. And I remember looking at it, and then someone else comes up to me and hands me another newspaper, and its headlines read, quote, New Currency for a Renewed Nation, unquote. Another headline was handed to me, and it said, quote, Simplicity Restored as Americans Begin to Grow Their Own Food Again, unquote. So I think we really need to pray into this and be prepared. I'm not trying to scare anybody. I'm not trying to alarm you. I'm not like a doom and gloom kind of preacher. But I do think that before things get better, sometimes they, in the national, international capacity, could get worse. So I think that even if you, when you go to the store and you buy your groceries, if you just buy, you know, an additional few things each week, to store up and prepare. I'm not trying to tell you that we're on the verge of Armageddon or nothing like that. But you know, the idea of, of an economic catastrophe or an economic collapse is very foreign to all of us who, you know, are alive in this generation. But it's been less than a hundred years that that happened here in this nation. Less than 100 years, the stock market crashed in 1929, and soup lines and bread lines were not a foreign thing. It was something very real here. So I know that that concept, say, oh, that could never happen here. You know, the world is too stable. Let me tell you, right now, the world systems are shaking. And God is not really interested in reforming Babylon. He's bringing it down. Okay, this was the other dream that I had, and I'll just read this to you and I ask you to pray into it. And it was about the Ukraine and Russian war that's going on right now, Russia invading Ukraine. I dreamed last night, early March 26, 2022, that the Russian invasion of Ukraine culminated and came to an end in the first half of the month of June 2022. In the dream, I saw there were people that came from the Middle East who helped the people and ultimately pushed Russia back into their nation. The end result of this was the beginning of major reform, revolution, and revival in Russia and in Ukraine. So, I'm just sharing the dream. Uh, and I want you to pray into these. And uh, I think that we're really going to see some real incredible things happen over the next few months. The Lord is shaking the earth. He is shaking the earth. And we need to not be alarmed. We just need to be aware to pay attention. We need a Matthew 24 watch and pray anointing. We need a John 3 stand and listen anointing. So that's what we're believing for. And I really think right now we need to capture the um, awareness of this moment, of a Kairos moment. As I say this, I look at the clock, it says 11-11. This very moment, I believe, is a Kairos moment in history. And um, I think we need to seize every opportunity that God is giving us to advance the kingdom of God. Because it really is within us. And when we drop down into ourselves and meditate upon the Lord within our spirit, there is an entire kingdom within us waiting to be explored and revealed that we can walk in as we learn to meditate upon the Lord. To be honest with you, um, there were several, there was a struggle within me this morning to decide what to minister. Of course, I've been preaching for 23 years, so I have a file cabinet full 
of any message that I could have chose. But the problem was there were several themes that I, I didn't have a hard time hearing what the Lord was saying, but I was trying to fit it into one particular message that I've been preaching. And um, so I just, as I began to seek the Lord and continued to pray even during uh, the message today, I did feel like that I did get some clarity um, over what the Lord would want me to share. You know, a prophetic minister has to really remain in a crucified life to keep the ego subdued, to make sure that we're not just sharing prophetic words for the sake of sharing them. I'm not even so sure if I'm into this whole concept of uh, daily prophetic words. I'm not criticizing anybody who does that. I'm serious. I just have never figured out how to force God to speak. Every so many hours. And sometimes I think some things are forced, you know, to keep up or maintain social media demand. Um, and I think as a prophetic voice, it's really important to understand this dynamic between knowing when to hide yourself versus show yourself. When you show yourself when you're supposed to be hiding, then you're operating in presumption and you're not protected by the grace that would prevent the onslaught from hell that is often released when you give a prophetic word. I don't think the grace is always there like it should be when we're operating in presumption. Okay? This hide yourself, show yourself dynamic is something that I think that all prophetic people, prophetic voices have to learn, including myself. And I can show you in the scriptures in 1 Kings 17 and 3, Elijah, who I think we'd all agree was a prophet of prophets, I mean, he wasn't the only one, but when you think of Elijah, you think of the prophetic. 1 Kings 17.3, he was told, get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, which flows into Jordan. So in 1 Kings 17.3, Elijah is told by the Lord, hide yourself. One chapter later, 1 Kings 18 and 1, and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself to Ahab and I'll send rain upon the earth. You know, one chapter can make the difference in whether you're to remain hidden or you're to stand up and speak and reveal what you've been given. So we never want to operate in presumption. We never want to uh, do any work for the Lord, e with good, even with good intentions, without the grace for that specific task. It's so important. And um, so, Lord, we just ask you to show us the difference from when we're supposed to hide ourselves and reveal ourselves. And it's not about revealing ourselves, it's about. How do we learn at various times, various times to remain hidden or to stand out? But it's only to reveal the Lord Jesus. As an ambassador, as our precious brother said so diligently last night, that we are ambassadors of the kingdom. We do not have a right to represent ourselves or our own ideas or our own feelings or our own thoughts, but we represent in Christ's stead the kingdom of God in the earth. Praise the Lord. I want to just read a verse uh, to you today from the book of Mark. <clears throat> Mark chapter 1 and verse 15. 
so happy that uh, we have family that have come down. My brother and sister-in-law, Scott and Jody Reed and their family are with us today. And it's always a delight to spend time with them and fellowship and appreciate what the Lord, the Lord is doing in their life and their ministry as well. Mark chapter 1. I'll start at verse 14. Now after that, John was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In verse 15 there, where Jesus says the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, the word for time there is the Greek word kairos. How many of you ever heard that word before, kairos? Kairos is one of the two words that the ancient Greeks had for time, for the Eng our English concept of time in the English language. So there was kairos and then the other one being chronos, from whence we get chronology or chronological timeline or sequential time. But kairos is different. Kairos speaks to moments or seasons within chronos. Okay, Kairos signifies a proper time or an opportune time for action. You know, in this sense, while Kronos is quantitative, Kairos is qualitative. Okay, and so understand then there are two basic questions to be answered. At any given moment, including today, in light of uh, the word Etienne gave last night, the word that I tried to minister Friday night about this prophetic word of fire being released from this ministry in Moravian Falls for four generations, two basic questions that need to be answered. What is God saying to me or to us? Number one. And number two, how am I going to respond? All the time. Those are the two basic questions that are What is God saying in this moment? Because we know the dangers of living off stale bread. The dangers of living off of specific words given to us 15 years ago. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. In other words, nothing that God ever reveals will uh, contradict his written word. But when those words of God or the truths contained in the scripture are personalized to us, for specific action, purpose, or cause in alignment with God's will in a specific time, that's a Kairos moment. All right? Now we know that the Logos Word of God is, part of it is the written Word of God. But does anybody know the word, the other Greek word regarding the Word of God? Rhema. A Rhema word is a word that basically is rooted in logos, the written word, or Jesus the word. He is the word of God. Jesus is the human word. The Bible is the written word. Okay? We are to flesh out the word in our daily lives. But the difference between logos, and what's the other one? Rhema is very much like the difference between Kronos and Kairos. The Word of God, the Logos, is written, forever settled, established. Its truths can be sought out. 
But when a specific scripture or a specific concept or theme is what God is releasing to you in that moment for direction, to take action, to reveal God's purposes or plans to you or through you, that's when the Logos becomes personal and it's therefore a rhema word for you in that moment. And I think this is where Many of our denominal friends who do not, um, you know, preach the, uh, the Holy Spirit or experience the Holy Spirit and, you know, the charismatic gifts or the Pentecostal outpouring, they really miss out. I think someone said it well. Many denominations, when they think of the Godhead, they don't think of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the three in one. They think of the Father, the Son, and the Bible. Now I'm not in any way minimizing or diminishing the value of the Bible. Okay? But it's one thing to have the written text and it's another thing to have the author living through you while you're reading the text. In fact, I don't even think you can really understand the Bible until you know the author. When you know his heart and you spend time with him and he's revealed himself to you personally, then when you read the word of God, it becomes a living book and the truths and realities leap off the page and become very significant to you in specific moments of your life. And so we need rhema words. And a rhema word from the Logos. Okay? A rhema word from the written word, the Logos, is often what makes Kairos so special in Kronos. Does this make sense to you? When God highlights a specific passage or there's a prophetic word, a rhema word, this is for you in this moment. This is the scripture that describes what is happening so that you can have perspective and insight about what steps to take or what steps not to take. When you get a rhema word from the Logos word, that really kind of is a Kairos moment in Kronos time. Because heaven has revealed from the scroll, from the book of life, what you need in that moment so you can take your next course of action. Is the lady here um, who I gave words the other night about March the 13th, remember? And I, I talked about different people having different spiritual experiences on March the 13th. And some, one was... Uh, negative and, and, and some were good. But there's a woman in here, I believe she's here, who had a dream about an eagle being in her house on March 13th. It's you. All right. That was a Kairos moment, ma'am. That was a Kairos moment. What that means is when that eagle, which is a symbol of the prophetic, when you dream on a specific date, about an eagle being in your house. What is happening is God is saying the prophetic is about to visit your home. Yeah. I was in prayer recently. And when I was seeking the Lord, I began to hear this flapping sound. And I, I kept thinking, what is that? I just thought maybe it was something banging up against the side of the wall or the door and I realized that from within me the Lord began to reveal to me it was the Isaiah 40 31 eagle that's mounting up its wings to soar something is rising up in the people of God this is a moment in time for us to seize the opportunity for more intimacy to awaken to the reality of who we are in Christ and to walk out and to live out all of our inheritance, all the riches of the glory which is in the saints of God. You understand Calvary, the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross, gave you a full inheritance. The scripture refers to it, the riches contained in the glory of God. Now when we think about the glory of God, it's more than just some ethereal um, 
nebulous concept that we really can't put our finger on. It's not just something out there. But the glory of God is all of the express image of who God is released in the earth. It's his goodness. It's his healing. It's his power. It's his presence that goes before us. But when you think about the cross, as Paul says, that the riches of the glory of God he has given to us or made available to us, I want you to just think about that terminology there from Ephesians 1 for just a minute. All of the riches contained in the glory that are unsearchable that we are meant to in our intimacy and getting to know the Lord and spending time with the Lord and waiting on the Lord and every visitation from the Lord and every angelic encounter, every dream, every vision, every word of knowledge, every prophecy, every healing. What we do as believers is there is such an unsearchable a priceless treasure in earthen vessels, you and I. And it will really take all eternity to really investigate and to search out all of the riches contained in the glory of God. And it is by faith that we release those riches through our voice, through our hands, through our eyes to minister healing and deliverance and the prophetic to the world. There are riches contained in the glory. It's inside of you. It's his inheritance in the saints. Now get this. God's inheritance is in us and our inheritance is in him. What a beautiful bridal paradigm. He is my inheritance, and within me contains his inheritance. So, Lord, I just pray for my sister that she will mount up with wings as eagles and the prophetic and dreams and visions and night visions will become more real to her and that she will speak on behalf of the glory of God and that she will speak with utterances in Kairos moments, rhema, words of God, and that her words will not fall to the ground because the eagle has visited her house. Hallelujah. Come on, let's just stop for just a minute. Let's wait upon the Lord. The glory of the Lord is wanting to be released in this room. You are the containers. Your faith releases the glory you already possess. Your praise and worship releases the glory. You know this concept, well, the presence of the Lord filled the room. You understand, he didn't come down from heaven to fill the room. It was released from us. We are glory generators. Our prayer, our praise, our intimacy, our time with the Lord is what generates and releases the glory that we contain within. So what is God saying to me? How am I going to respond? The word kairos is Greek for the concept of opportunity. How many of you have ever had moments in life that you look back over your life and you realize that was a moment where doors were opened, relationships uh, bonded, people came together without effort for kingdom purposes. Doors were open, opportunities were made, and you look back over that and you think, I am so glad that I had enough sense and wherewithal to not sit back and let it pass me by, but to stand up and say, I'm gonna partner with the purposes of heaven. And I'm not going to let Kronos pass me by when Kairos is right here, right now. It's a fitting time. You know, the Bible uses this word Kairos several places in the New Testament. The first one being what I read to you just a second ago, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And this is the reason why we read about those three and a half years of Jesus' ministry. What was so special about that three and a half years in over 6,000 years of recorded human history? It was a Cairo season. God became man. 
And the blind eyes were healed, the deaf ears were healed, the dead were raised, sins were forgiven, demons were cast out, and the kingdom of God came near to men, and men discovered it was available and within our reach. It was at hand. Okay? And then in Luke, chapter 19 and verse 44, I'll just read it to you. Luke 19. In verse 44, I love this verse here. This is another use of the word kairos. I'm sorry, I gave the wrong verse. Acts 24, 25. I apologize. Acts 24. And as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come... Felix trembled and answered, Go your way for this time. Okay? Go your way for this time. When I have a convenient season, there's the word kairos, I will call for you. In other words, Felix recognized in the timeline of his life, this was, he was not going to respond to the call of the gospel, uh, the call to repentance or to be born again. He, he said, come back in a more convenient season. Well, you, can't get, you cannot dictate the kairos moments. And the word kairos is used there. The time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe. Change your mind. Change your mind and believe the good news. And so when the people of Israel in the first century discovered Jesus and Jesus' life-changing ministry and power, they had an opportunity, a kairos moment, a responsibility to respond appropriately. Another example of a Kairos moment is when Jesus calls James and John to follow him. They had a window of opportunity. Would they leave all to follow Christ? Would, Peter and Andrew, would they leave their fishing nets in the boat? That's all they ever knew was fishing. Commercial fishermen to provide for their family, to make a living. That's what they knew. That's what they were familiar with. That's what they had done for years. But who in the world just gets up and leaves your job, walks away from how you make money and provide for your family? And we know Peter had a wife because he had a mother-in-law. It's unfortunate that the first pope was married, but yeah, I'm kidding. Peter wasn't the first pope in the way that we think of pope, but he was given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. All right? And now it had to be a Kairos moment. I mean, it was like the stars aligned. I mean, really, it was who walks away from job longevity and job security to follow a stranger? A stranger. Not somebody who says, if you'll come and work for me, I'll, I'll pay you six figures, I'll pay for your housing. You'll get a month off of vacation every year. No, just said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And they left their nets and followed him. Why did they do that? Why did Peter and Andrew respond in one of those ways that are head scratching? It's like, this doesn't make sense. Who would do this kind of thing? This is a foolish decision. Listen. When you see people who have taken risks and it's paid off, it's because they responded to a Kairos moment. When you see people take risks and they fail, it's because they was operating in presumption. And they were trying to force a Kairos moment in Kronos time, but they couldn't dictate it. Oh boy. You know, it's been said, you're either going to be a risk taker, a caretaker, or an undertaker. And I don't mean the wrestler. You're either going to be a risk taker, a caretaker, an undertaker. And here's the thing. 
I'm not telling you to live on the edge or to be a risk taker. I'm telling you to be obedient to the Kairos moments. In the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word will be established and you'll know this is a God moment. This is the direction I need to go. This is what I need to do. It doesn't make sense. It's not comfortable. It's not convenient. But God has said it. The door has opened. There's grace on it. I feel life on it. I feel that Holy Ghost juice on it. So I've got to respond to it and I'll figure out and fill in the gaps later and make sense of it later. But I do not want to miss this Kairos moment because when you refuse and reject, the Kairos moment then there begins this process known as the hardening of the heart even Jesus told the churches in Asia Minor in Revelation chapters 1 through 3 he even told Jezebel that he would give her a space of time to repent I just want to tell you you do not want to get to the place of regularly missing God moments or Kairos moments. How many people lie on their deathbed, taking their final breaths, looking back over their life, and thinking about what I wished I would have done different? We have to pray for the discernment to know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. There are times you're called to be a caretaker. Then there's times you're called to be a risk taker. And then there's times you're called to be an undertaker. Remember when Jesus came um, to the one disciple and said, follow me? He said, no, let, let me first go bury. I believe it was his parents. Jesus said, no, the dead will bear, let the dead bury their dead. Now, that almost seems like a cold statement. I mean, can you imagine somebody telling you when your mother and father die? You don't need to go to the funeral. Let somebody else go grieve over them. I mean, that seems cold. And it, it kind of is, unless it's a Kairos moment. And Jesus is saying, follow me. In other words, following Jesus in life trumps even the most important things that you could do or have to spend your time. In the New Testament, kairos means an appointed time in the purpose of God. Just one of those moments. You know, sometimes I've, I've had people tell me, you know, I've just been praying for one of those moves of God. I, I love what the brother said last night, you know, stop waiting for revival to come. Absolutely. Stop waiting for the fire to come. Absolutely. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the fire within you. When you understand what you contain and possess and how to release it, that the veils can come off of your soul so that you can see what you need to do. But what people mean when they say that you know, I just would like for the fire to fall or I want a revival. They're really, in essence, saying I want a Kairos moment. Now, that doesn't negate what our, at all. I 150% agree. In the strongest terms, we wait sometimes to do what's already been given to us and enforced. That's not what I'm talking about at all. I'm talking about those those moments where we say, God, I, I just need one of those Kairos moments. I need one of those moments for an angel to visit. <laughs> you know, you look back over history and you see the great um, Kairos moments. I think of Bob Jones's vision where he stood before the Lord. Did you learn to love? I mean, who would have imagined coffee mugs and bumper stickers and the whole world would know that story? That was a Kairos moment in Bob's life when the Lord brought him back from the dead. Another Kairos moment in history when an angel visits a poor country preacher named William Branham and he's told, I'm going to give you a gift of healing. And he went around the world several times praying for the sick and multitudes were genuinely healed. That was the, the, the late 40s and early 50s. From that visitation in a cave in Indiana, 
with Branham in 1946. Out of that came Oral Roberts, the voice of healing, A.A. A. Allen. There was a, about a 10-year period there, the, what was known as the voice of healing that then turned into the latter rain. And all of it started out from a Kairos moment where a simple country man was visited by an angel. All throughout history, Kairos moments where Martin Luther pinned those theses on the door of that church. And that began the Reformation. You ever thought about, what if those moments hadn't have happened? I mean, think about it. What, are the, what if those moments had never happened? What if Luther would have never took that step? What if Abraham Lincoln would have never gave the Emancipation Proclamation? I mean, really, where would we be? Where would we be if a group of ragtag settlers in the early American colonies would not have seen the value in establishing a more perfect union of people who have a president and not a king? And they hadn't seized that moment and overcame the greatest army military force on the earth, earth and threw England out. What if those moments wouldn't have happened? I mean, the day of Pentecost, the feast days, are Kairos moments in God's calendar. Significant moments where special graces are released in the earth. And while we cannot wait to do what we've been empowered to do all of the time, stop waiting for that. I want to actually begin to talk to you for just the next few minutes about this whole idea of how Kairos moments, you can posture and position yourself for Kairos moments to become more frequent. Where heaven, the eternal realm, crosses the time realm. And those are the moments you look back on your life and you think, man, I'm sure glad I did that. That, that was a Kairos moment was a prayer meeting consisting of some Bible college students in 1900 in Topeka, Kansas. And came from that the beginning of the Pentecostal outpouring, the Holy Spirit baptism here in America. Or how about Azusa Street? On and on I could talk about many Kairos moments the kingdom of God is at hand, an opportune moment, a special season. Here's another example when it's used. Harvest time. In Scripture, when the Bible talks about moments and seasons such as harvest time, where chronos, the word chronos, which chronology, is used 54 times. All right, it refers to a specific amount of time. But Jesus makes the distinction in John chapter 7 and verse 6 between his time and his brother's time. I want to read that. John, check this out. John chapter 7 in verse 6. Then Jesus said unto them, My time my kairos is not yet come, but your time is always ready. Jesus differentiates between his time and the disciples' time because he was in a short season of a manifestation, an introduction of the kingdom of God. How about this one? After his resurrection, when Jesus tells his disciples, go ye and tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. And then Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost was fully come. They were all in one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a 
a rushing mighty wind and filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire that sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues. Now, many people and well-meaning old timers, I, my family has been, uh, I have quite a legacy in the Pentecostal movement. My family came into Pentecost. My grandmother and my great-grandmother came into Pentecost in 1920. And I, I've heard over the years some interesting statements made. How many of you ever heard this concept, come up the altar and tarry for the Holy Ghost? Anybody ever hear that terminology used? Tarry. Let me tell you, there's only one group of people that were ever told to tarry for it. And that's the disciples going to Jerusalem to the upper room for the outpouring, the initial outpouring. They were told to tarry. Why? Because the Holy Spirit couldn't be poured out until a Kairos moment happened. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, everybody else after that, we don't have to tarry for the Holy Ghost. We just receive it. How many of you here today, let me just ask the question. Be honest. Nobody looking around. How many of you here today have never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit or spoke in another language that you don't understand? Just slip up your hand if you never have. It's okay. It's all right. There's a few hands going up. Well, I believe you can leave with it today. You can be empowered. You don't have to tarry for it. You begin as you meditate upon the Lord and you begin to praise his name. You begin to hear internally uh, language or syllables inside of you being said, a language in your head that you've never spoken. And then out of your belly, the scripture says, shall flow rivers of living water. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. This spake he of the Spirit that they which believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Many people overthink it, and it seems the more intellectual people are, the harder they have, uh, harder time they have of releasing that prayer language. Okay? I hate to tell you this, but it comes out of your belly, and it has to bypass your brain and come straight out your mouth. I know that sounds funny, but seriously, when you overthink it, you'll have a hard time getting the baptism. Because you're going to say, oh, this don't make sense, or this sounds silly. No, it's the Spirit that gives the utterance. And by faith, you begin to say out loud the language you're hearing being spoken and the syllables being articulated from within. It's just a minute. Whenever you yield, it'll happen. Better hurry. So Kairos is a time of opportunity, an opportune time. I want to ask you a question. Do you, anybody in this room, can you think back over your life in the past and think of a Kairos moment? Can you think back over your life without falling into guilt or shame and realize and look back and think about moments where you missed it. You made the wrong choice, you went the wrong direction, and you're still living with the consequences of it today. I believe the church now is coming into another Kairos moment. All of the truths of the Word of God have been true for the entire church, the entire church age. But there is certain seasons where special graces are released for special purposes. And we have to discern and be sensitive enough to know. I mean, aren't you glad for a Kairos moment in Moses' life when for 40 years he was going through the same routine day after day, shoveling sheep manure. Try saying that three times fast. <laughs> Maybe, better not. <clears throat> you might slip. But anyway, I mean, for 40 years, he's on the backside of the desert taking care of his father-in-law's sheep, not even his own sheep, his father-in-law's sheep. And the scripture says that this bush begins to burn 
80-year-old man just proves this, just goes to prove that no matter how old you are, you're never too old to God, for God to use you, to make you a deliverer. He could have let the shame of his past, the fact that when he left Egypt, he was the first jailbird fugitive in the Bible. He could have let the fact of guilt and shame cover him, you know, considering that when he saw the Egyptian beating the Hebrew slave, he rose up, he felt a certain patronage to the Jewish people, and he rose up and he kills the Egyptian, and he buries him in the sand. He could have let the fact that he was 80 years old, looking back over his life, thinking about the regrets, thinking about that he grew up in a palace with a silver spoon in his mouth, literally, and then he messed up in one moment and then buried his mistakes in the sand and ran. And now he's on the backside of a desert taking care of sheep and a bush begins to burn, but it's not consumed. And one of the most important phrases in all the Bible. It's in Exodus 3. I encourage you to check it out. It's, I think, around verse 3 or 4. And this five or six little word phrase changed the course of history. If this hadn't happened, and Moses hadn't have identified this was a Kairos moment, and he would have ignored the burning bush, the Israelites would have stayed in Egypt I mean, think about all the history of the Bible, including Jesus. All of that was dependent upon one little phrase when Moses saw the burning bush. And you know what it was? And Moses turned aside to see the bush burning. What if he had been so caught up in the remedial tasks and the busyness? He could probably talked himself into, you know, I've been in the hot blazing sun desert before. I've seen bushes and shrubs catch on fire. You know, what, what's new? No, he turned aside. He was consciously aware of God activity in his life, that God was in nature, that God is in everything, that God is all around us. He's in the elements. He's in the bread. He's in the wine of communion. He's everywhere. There, the, the separation between us and God is now, because of the cross, nothing more than an illusion. In fact, it was Paul that said, for in him we live and move and have our being. So the only, I mean, think about it. In him we live and move. You're driving down the road, you're in God. You're riding a roller coaster, you're in God. You're sitting in church right now, you're in the omnipresent God. So you might say then, why does God at times in my life feel like he's a million miles away? Well, if he's right here, why does he feel like a million miles away, the only separation between you and God is a dissimilarity between your spirit and his. Yeah. He's literally right here. And he can manifest at any moment, any spot where faith in the proclamation of the gospel releases it to, to manifest. What about the two on the road to Emmaus? Talking about all the troubles, all the drama, all the negative stuff they just went through. And then they come to the house and the scripture says, get this now, this has always stood out to me. It says, and Jesus would have passed and gone on and passed them by. Because they didn't even recognize the presence of the Lord in their life. They're sitting there rehearsing all the bad that's happened in the last three days. We thought this Jesus was going to be the Messiah and save all of Israel. And it turned out not to be. How disappointing. And there he is right there. But his face was withholding from them. Let me ask you a question. How many times are angels among us, heavenly creatures, the cloud of witnesses, the men in white linen, how many times are they around us ready to appear, to give us revelation? But our eyes are withholden from them. Well, they sit down and 
Jesus tells them and rehearses from the beginning of the Bible up till him how that the Messiah would come and how he would be put to death by the hands of sinful men and that he would be buried and resurrect on the third day and they still didn't recognize him. Apparently they knew him. They were sad. They were in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover and they were making the seven-mile journey back home to Emmaus. And the Scripture says as they were sitting down to eat with him right there. I love this. Suddenly their eyes were opened when he broke the bread, it says that the Lord was made known to them in the breaking of bread. And then their eyes were open and he vanished from their sight. You know what? I think there's a lot of revelation there, but I'll summarize it up quickly. They visibly had Jesus with them walking with them, talking with them, sitting at their table, literally, and they didn't recognize or acknowledge him. Moses saw him in a burning bush. They couldn't see him in the flesh. Because there was something over their eyes. Their eyes were withholding. They couldn't see him in human form. But they did see him in broken bread. The idea that the living Christ can be in the contents of the cup or in the broken bread. The idea that the presence of Christ is above us, around us, in us, underneath of us, in our right hand in strength and our left hand in weakness. And you know when their spiritual eyes were open? The moment that they recognized that Jesus was in the bread. Where has God been in your life? What symbols or people or things in nature has he spoke to you or brought revelation to you, but you were too busy? Or rehearsing the things you're upset about or the drama or spat that you had with your spouse. How much have we missed God in nature? Whether it's a burning bush or a broken piece of bread, their eyes were opened. It was a Kairos moment. And they realized just how close God was. Christ was in their midst and they didn't even recognize him. I challenge all of you from this day forward. I challenge all of you to intentionally start to become more present. This is a challenge for me. It's a challenge for all of us. I get that. But I believe that God is challenging all of us to be more present in the moment, to recognize his presence because he wants to reveal himself and communicate with you regularly. And so, you know, I, you hear people say this, and I'm closing with this. They say, you know, I had a Kairos moment six years ago. Now, they don't necessarily say that, but they'll say, I had an angelic experience. Or how about this, when you hear preachers get up and talk about what God did 35 years ago in their meetings, but there's no recent testimonies. Right. Now, you can get quiet all you want to. It's just the truth anyway. What God did or shoulda, coulda, woulda, or what happened back then, living in yesterday's blessing. And everybody wants more of those Kairos moments. But do we, if we just wait for them to fall in our lap, it may happen once a year, once every six years. But why did Jesus have Kairos moments where heaven invaded the earth and that's when miracles and supernatural and prophecy and dreams and all that. A Kairos moment is a significant moment in time where God activity infused Kronos. Could it be that if we just sit alone idly by ourselves waiting for Kairos moments to happen, they'll happen occasionally. But Jesus said in John 5, remember, I said it Friday night, I only do what I see my father do. 
I go where he's going. I speak to who he says to speak to. I heal who he draws me. He shows it to me in vision form, and I do that. If Jesus had Kairos moments, I mean, think about it. John chapter 1, he sees Nathanael sitting under the tree. Jesus is baptized. The Spirit descends like a, like a dove. John chapter 2, he turns water into wine. John chapter 3, he reveals himself to Nicodemus at night. John chapter 4, he gives a prophetic word to the woman at the well. John chapter 5, he heals the paralytic. On and on we could go. Why is it one chapter, one day after the other, he has a, a record of consistent Kairos moments? Many people would look at that, and this is the carnal way of looking at that. The carnal way of looking at that is, wonder why we're not seeing God move like he was in the book of Acts. Why is the church less in power? Why aren't signs and wonders and miracles and healings and prophecy happening more consistently? Why aren't we having turning water into wine, Nicodemus-like conversions, woman at the well situations? You could go through one chapter after the other in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and even the book of Acts, and you'll see there were Kairos moments in Acts. In Acts 1, Jesus ascends. In Acts 2, the Holy Ghost is outpoured. Acts chapter 3, the lame man at the gate called Beautiful is healed. Acts chapter 4, they pray and the house shakes. On and on and on. Acts chapter 9, Saul of Tarsus encounters the Lord on the road to Damascus, and he's blind. In Acts chapter 10, Peter falls into a trance. And he's called to go to the Gentiles at the same time that an angel visits Cornelius. On and on we could go through each chapter and see how the supernatural is filled. By the way, if you took the supernatural out of the Bible, you wouldn't have much of a Bible left. And then you wonder why the people that think the supernatural isn't for today or the same today or the gifts aren't for today. If you take all the supernatural out of the Bible and you don't have much Bible left... If you take supernatural out of modern Christianity, you don't have much of Christianity left. All you have is religion. All right. So how then did Jesus... Could it be that because he had a direct communion, intimacy with the Father, and his eyes were open, and the Father by vision or dream would reveal to him the strategies for the next day, where he was to go? I'm convinced the reason why he was there at nighttime. I mean, who stays up all night waiting for a man named Nicodemus to... The Father showed that to him. That's why Jesus was there and available at night. Nicodemus was coming and the Father showed him, there's this one member of the Sanhedrin who won't come to you in the day because he don't want to be associated with you, but if you'll stay up tonight later, Jesus, he'll come and you can tell him John 3.16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. Then, later on, Chapter 4, you think Jesus just happened to show up and go out of his way and take an alternate route to sit down at the middle of the blazing hot desert sun to wait for a five-time divorcee woman who's currently shacked up with a man? Do you think that happened coincidence? No. He went and took an alternate route, went out of his way to go to that well. It wasn't in his journey or his path no, the Father showed him to go there. Now that woman went to the well every day to get water to drink, to cook with, to clean with, to wash with, to bathe in. That was a daily routine for her, so a Kairos moment fell in her lap as she was doing the daily routine in Kronos time. But Jesus lived in a consistent Kairos state because he was waiting before he did the next thing until the Father showed him. Because if you wait... For the Father to show you what he's doing and who he's doing it with, then every day of your life, you'll know where to be. You'll know who the Father's working on. You'll know who to be around. You'll know where to be and when to be there and what to say. Whether God's going to heal him, deliver him, baptize him in the Spirit, lead him to salvation or a prophetic word. 
Could it be that the Kairos moments increase the more we live from a state of revelation? In other words, God's always at work. And he's working on you one day, and you one day, and you one day, and you one day, and you one day, and, you one day, and you. he's dropping occasional Kairos moments without us even asking for it. It's his goodness and grace. But how you can live in a constant Kairos moment is I figure out you need healing today, so I'm going to go and I'm going to pray for you in the hospital. The Lord showed me to do it. You need a prophetic word today, so tomorrow I'm going to meet you at this certain place in, in time and reveal to you what the Father showed me. One day after the other, you know who he's working on, who he's talking to, who needs healing, who needs the kingdom, who needs deliverance, and you simply, in a lifestyle of revelation, know where to be every day, who to be around, because you know with whom and where God is working, and you just show up. And so then you understand, wow, I'm not reading the Bible and suddenly... God stopped working as much. No, Jesus and the apostles just went by revelation. You know how Peter knew to go to Cornelius' house? A trance happened. A sheet fell from heaven and an angel told him, go to one Simon the Tanner. Go to Cornelius' household and the gospel is going to be introduced to the Gentiles. They came together because of a Kairos moment. And I'm simply telling you, you can have more kairos in chronos time when you live at a place of intimacy waiting on the Lord, waiting for revelation.